This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of antibiotic classification and mechanism from the basic science section on orthobullets.com. Antibiotics work by a wide variety of mechanisms depending on the bacteria being targeted and the resistances bacteria develop. In this episode, we will discuss the various mechanisms by which different classes of antibiotics work, briefly review the classifications and types of bacteria, and delve further into several important notes on different classes of antibiotics. First, let's discuss a few points on the classification and subclassifications of antibiotics. Antibiotics are broadly classified into seven main classes and a variety of others. These main classes include penicillins, cephalosporins, fluoroquinolones, aminoglycosides, monobactams, carbapenems, and macrolides. The penicillins can be further subclassified into natural penicillins, penicillinase-resistant penicillins, and aminopenicillins. The natural penicillins are penicillin G and penicillin VK. Penicillinase-resistant penicillins include methicillin, nafcillin, and oxacillin, amongst others. And the aminopenicillins include ampicillin. Cephalosporins are subclassified into first, second, third, or fourth generation cephalosporins. First generation cephalosporins include cephalothin, cefazolin, also known as ANCEF or Kefzol, cefapronin, and cephalexin, also known as Keflex, amongst others. Second generation cephalosporins include cephalon and cefatitan, also known as cefotan. Third generation cephalosporins include ceftriaxone or rocephin. And fourth generation cephalosporins include cefpirome and cefepime. Moving on to discuss fluoroquinolones, these include ciprofloxacin, also known as cipro, levofloxacin, also known as levoquin, moxifloxacin, also known as avalox, and norfloxacin. Important aminoglycosides to be aware of include amikacin, gentamicin, canamycin, neomycin, and tobramycin. The important monobactam to be aware of is astreonam, and the important carbapenems to discuss include ertapenem, imipenem, and miropenem. And finally, the important macrolides to be included are azithromycin, clarithromycin, dithromycin, erythromycin, and clindamycin. Some of the other notable antibiotics that do not fall into those classes include vancomycin, rifampin, linezolid, and the tetracyclines including doxycycline, as well as trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole. These antibiotic classes are appropriately categorized by their mechanisms of action on the bacteria. These mechanisms of action include cell wall synthesis inhibitors, protein synthesis inhibitors, DNA synthesis inhibitors, RNA synthesis inhibitors, as well as mycolic acid synthesis inhibitors and folic acid synthesis inhibitors. The cell wall synthesis inhibitors include penicillins, cephalosporins, vancomycin, beta-lactamase inhibitors, carbapenems, astreonam, polymycin, and bacitracin. Protein synthesis inhibitors are further subclassified as those that inhibit the 30S ribosomal subunit or those that inhibit the 50S ribosomal subunit. Protein synthesis inhibitors that inhibit the 30S subunit include aminoglycosides such as gentamicin and tetracyclines. The protein synthesis inhibitors that inhibit the 50S subunit include macrolides, chloramphenicol, clindamycin, linezolid, and streptogramins. DNA synthesis inhibitors include fluoroquinolones and metronidazole. RNA synthesis inhibitors include rifampin, and you can remember the R in rifampin for the R in RNA. 
Mycolic acid synthesis inhibitors include isoniazide, and folic acid synthesis inhibitors include sulfonamides and trimethoprim. Now that we have categorized the antibiotics by mechanism of action, let's review the antibiotic classes and mechanisms of action by their indications. The penicillins are bactericidal and block cross-linking via competitive inhibition of the transpeptidase enzyme. The penicillins again include natural penicillins, aminopenicillins, penicillinase-resistant penicillins, and antipseudomonal penicillins. The natural penicillins include penicillin G, aqueous penicillin G, procaine penicillin G, benzathine penicillin G, and penicillin V. These drugs are indicated and are the drug of choice in treating strep pyogenes or group A strep, strep agalactae or group B strep, and clostridium perfringens. Toxicities associated with the penicillins include hypersensitivity reaction and hemolytic anemia. The amino penicillins include ampicillin and amoxicillin and are indicated in treating all the same bacteria that natural penicillins treat, which again include strep pyogenes or group A strep, strep or group B strep, and clostridium perfringens. In addition, amino penicillins have increased gram-negative coverage including Enterococcus faecalis and E. coli. The toxicities are the same as penicillins as well, including hypersensitivity reaction and hemolytic anemia. The penicillinase-resistant penicillins include methicillin, nafcillin, oxacillin, cloxacillin, and dicloxacillin. These drugs are indicated in treating the above bacteria including strep pyogenes or group A strep, strep agalactae or group B strep, and clostridium perfringens, and these cover penicillinase-producing staph aureus. The toxicities are the same as penicillins as well, including hypersensitivity reaction and hemolytic anemia, as well as the increased risk for developing interstitial nephritis. To wrap up our discussion on penicillins, the antipseudomonal penicillins include carbenicillin, ticarcillin, and piperacillin. These are also good for treating the previously mentioned bacteria, as well as providing coverage for Pseudomonas aeruginosa. The toxicities are the same as previously mentioned. Now let's move on to discuss cephalosporins. Cephalosporins are bactericidal and work by inhibiting bacterial cell wall synthesis via competitive inhibition of the transpeptidase enzyme. They are again subclassified into the first, second, third, and fourth generation cephalosporins. We will get into some important points about first, second, and third generation cephalosporins. The first generation cephalosporins include cefazolin and cephalexin. These are good for treating staph aureus and staph epidermidis, as well as some gram-negatives including E. coli and Klebsiella. Common toxicities of first-generation cephalosporins include allergic reaction and Coombs-positive anemia seen in 3% of patients. Second-generation cephalosporins include cefoxetin, cefachlor, and cefuroxime. These are good for treating the previously mentioned bacteria including Staph aureus, Staph epidermidis, E. coli, and Klebsiella, as well as having increased gram-negative coverage. The toxicities of second-generation cephalosporin include allergic reaction and ethanol disulfram reaction. And finally, the third-generation cephalosporins include ceftriaxone, cefetaxime, and ceftazidime. We will also include cefepime, which is a fourth-generation cephalosporin in this discussion. These are good for treating the previously mentioned bacteria, as well as having increased gram-negative and pseudomonal coverage. The toxicities of third-generation cephalosporins include allergic reaction and ethanol disulfram reaction. Some of the other important cell wall inhibitors to discuss include vancomycin, beta-lactamase inhibitors, carbapenems, estreonam, polymyxin, and baxitracin.
First discussing vancomycin, it is bactericidal and disrupts peptidoglycan cross-linkages. It's useful in the treatment of MRSA and in the treatment of penicillin and cephalosporin allergic patients. It's good for treatment of Staph aureus and Staph epidermidis. Notable toxicities include Redman syndrome, nephrotoxicity, and ototoxicity. Beta-lactamase inhibitors are bactericidal and work via blocking cross-linking of the cell wall. These drugs include clavulanic acid, solbactam, and tazobactam. These are useful in treating Staph aureus, Staph epidermidis, E. coli, and Klebsiella. Notable toxicities include hypersensitivity reaction and hemolytic anemia. Moving on to discuss carbapenems, these include imipenem and celastin, as well as meropenem, doripenem, and ertapenem. These have the broadest activity of any antibiotic, but does not cover MRSA or mycoplasma. As trianem is another cell wall inhibitor that's useful in the treatment of gram-negative rods, aerobes, and hospital-acquired infections. Next, polymyxins include polymyxin B and polymyxin E. These are useful in the treatment of topical gram-negative infections. And finally, among the cell wall inhibitors, we have bacitracin, which is useful in the treatment of topical gram-positive infections. Moving on to discuss protein synthesis inhibitors, remember that these are classified into anti-30S and anti-50S ribosomal subunit inhibitors. The anti-30S ribosomal subunit inhibitors include aminoglycosides and tetracyclines. The aminoglycosides are bactericidal, working via an irreversible binding to the 30S subunit. The aminoglycosides include gentamicin, neomycin, amicacin, tobramycin, and streptomycin. These are useful in the treatment of aerobic gram-negatives, including Enterobacteraceae and Pseudomonas. Important toxicities to note are nephrotoxicity and ototoxicity. Moving on to discuss the tetracyclines, these are also anti-30S ribosomal subunit inhibitors. However, these are bacteriostatic, working by the blockage of tRNA. The tetracyclines include tetracycline, doxycycline, minocycline, and demeclocycline. Tetracyclines are useful in the treatment of rickettsia, mycoplasma, and spirochetes like Lyme disease. Important toxicities to note related to the tetracyclines include hepatotoxicity, tooth discoloration, and impaired growth, and thus should be avoided in children less than 12 years of age. Moving on to discuss the anti-50S ribosomal subunit inhibitors, these include the macrolides, chloramphenicol, lincosamide, linezolid, and the streptogramins. We'll start discussing the macrolides. These are bacteriostatic and reversibly bind the 50S ribosomal subunit. The macrolides include erythromycin, azithromycin, and clarithromycin. The macrolides are useful in the treatment of streptococcus, haemophilus influenzae, and mycoplasma pneumoniae. Important toxicities to note are accumulated interaction that is facilitated via the cytochrome P450 pathway. The next important anti-50S ribosomal subunit inhibitor to discuss is chloramphenicol. This is also a bacteriostatic agent, and chloramphenicol is useful in the treatment of haemophilus influenzae, bacterial meningitis, and brain abscesses. They have serious toxicities to note that include aplastic anemia and gray baby syndrome. The next important anti-50S ribosomal subunit inhibitor to discuss are the lincosamides, which are bacteriostatic and inhibit peptidyl transferase by interfering with aminoacyl tRNA complex. Lincosamides include clindamycin, which is useful in the treatment of bacterioides fragilis, staph aureus, 
coagulates negative staph and strep, and has excellent bone penetration. Important toxicities to note include pseudomembranous colitis and a hypersensitivity reaction. Next, we will discuss linezolid. Linezolid is another anti-50S ribosomal subunit inhibitor and is useful in the treatment of resistant gram-positives. And finally, for the anti-50S ribosomal subunit inhibitors, the streptogramins. The streptogramins include quinupristine and dalfopristine. These are useful in the treatment of vancomycin-resistant enterococci, group A strep, and staph aureus skin infections. That is all for the protein synthesis inhibitors, and now we will discuss the DNA synthesis inhibitors. The DNA synthesis inhibitors include the fluoroquinolones and other DNA inhibitors. Fluoroquinolones are bactericidal and work via the inhibition of the DNA gyrase enzyme, which works to inhibit DNA synthesis. The fluoroquinolones are subclassified into first, second, third, and fourth generation. The important first generation fluoroquinolone to note is nalodixic acid. This is useful in the treatment of streptococcus, mycoplasma, and aerobic gram-positive bacteria. Important toxicities to note are phototoxicity, Achilles tendon rupture, and impaired fracture healing. Second generation fluoroquinolones include ciprofloxacin, norfloxacin, enoxacin, ofloxacin, and levofloxacin. Second generation fluoroquinolones are also useful in the treatment of the previously mentioned bacteria including streptococcus, mycoplasma, and aerobic gram-positive bacteria, as well as have increased pseudomonal coverage. The toxicities are the same as previously mentioned as well, including phototoxicity, Achilles tendon rupture, and impaired fracture healing. The important third-generation fluoroquinolone is gadifloxacin. This is useful in the same coverage as previously mentioned, in addition to gram-positive coverage. Toxicities are the same as previously mentioned for fluoroquinolones. Fourth-generation cephalosporins include moxifloxacin and gemifloxacin. These are also useful in the treatment of the previously mentioned bacteria, in addition to having gram-positive coverage and anaerobic coverage. The toxicities are the same as previously mentioned. The other important DNA inhibitor to discuss, in addition to the fluoroquinolones, is metronidazole. Metronidazole is bactericidal, working via metabolic byproducts that disrupt the DNA. Metronidazole is otherwise known as flagell, and is useful in the treatment of anaerobes. Important toxicities to note include seizures, cerebellar dysfunction, and an ethanol disulfram reaction. Moving on to discuss RNA synthesis inhibitors, rifampin is bactericidal and inhibits RNA transcription by inhibiting RNA polymerase. Rifampin is useful in the treatment of staphylococcus and mycobacterium, including tuberculosis. Important drug toxicities to note include body fluid discoloration and hepatotoxicity, especially when including isoniazide in the treatment. Moving on to discuss isoniazide, isoniazide is a mycolic acid synthesis inhibitor and is useful in the treatment of tuberculosis as well as latent tuberculosis. And lastly, reviewing folic acid synthesis inhibitors, these include trimethoprim sulfonamides and paramethamine. Trimethoprim sulfonamides are bacteriostatic and work via inhibition with PABA or paraminobenzoic acid. Trimethoprim may be paired with sulfamethoxazole, otherwise known as SMX, as well as sulfisoxazole and sulfadiazine. Trimethoprim sulfonamides are useful in the treatment of UTI organisms including Proteus and Enterobacter. Important toxicities to note are thrombocytopenia and these drugs should be avoided in the third trimester of pregnancy. The next folic acid synthesis inhibitor to discuss is pyrimethamine. 
pyrimethamine is useful in the treatment of malaria and Toxoplasma gondii. Okay, so now that we've covered the antibiotics by their indications and toxicities, let's quickly review the classifications and types of bacteria. There are gram-positive cocci, which include Staphylococcus, Streptococcus, and Enterococci, gram-positive bacilli, which include spore-forming and non-spore-forming gram-positive bacilli, gram-negative cocci, which include Neisseria, gram-negative bacilli, which include enterics, respiratory bacilli, zoonotic bacilli, and some others, and then there are a bunch of other bacteria, including mycobacterium, spirochetes, chlamydia, mycoplasma, and fungus-like bacteria. Quickly reviewing the gram-positive cocci, amongst the staphylococci we have Staph aureus, MSSA, MRSA, Staph epidermidis, and Staph saprophyticus. Examples of streptococci include Strep pneumoniae, Strep pyogenes or group A strep, Strep galactiae or group B strep, Strep viridans, and Strep bovis or group D strep. And finally, amongst the Enterococcus, the most important to note is Enterococcus faecalis. Moving on to discuss the gram-positive bacilli, these again include the spore-forming and non-spore-forming. The spore-forming gram-positive bacilli are Bacillus anthracis, Bacillus cereus, Clostridium tetani, Clostridium botulinum, Clostridium perfringens, and Clostridium difficile. The non-spore-forming gram-positive bacilli include Cornibacterium diphtheriae and Listeria monocytogenes. Important to discuss of the gram-negative cocci are the Neisseria, which include Neisseria meningitidis and Neisseria gonorrhea. Important gram-negative bacilli to note fall into the category of enterics, respiratory bacilli, and zoonotic bacilli. Enteric gram-negative bacilli include E. coli, Salmonella typhi, Salmonella enteritidis, Shigella dysenteriae, Klebsiella pneumoniae, Serratia, Proteus, Campylobacter jejuni, Vibrio cholerae, Vibrio parahemolyticus or vonlificus, Helicobacter pylori, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, and Bacteriorides fragilis. Moving on to discuss the respiratory bacilli, these include Haemophilus influenzae, Haemophilus ducrae, and Bordadella pertussis. The zoonotic bacilli include Yersinia enterocolitica, Yersinia pestis, Brucella, Francisella tularensis, Pasteurella multilocida, and Bartonella hensley. The last important gram-negative bacilli to note is Gardnerella vaginalis, which does not fall into one of the other categories. Some of the other bacteria of note include the mycobacterium, spirochetes, chlamydia, mycoplasma, and fungus-like bacteria. The mycobacteria include mycobacterium tuberculosis as well as mycobacterium leprae and mots, or mycobacterium other than tuberculosis. Important spirochetes to note are Borrelia burgdorferi, Leptospira interrogans, and Trypanema pallidum. Notable chlamydiaceae to include are chlamydia trachomatis as well as chlamydophila, rickettsia, Anolichia. Important mycoplasma to note are mycoplasma pneumoniae, as well as urea plasma urea lyticum, and among fungus-like bacteria, Actinomyces israelii and Nocardia are most important. Okay, so now let's go over some of the antibiotic resistance mechanisms. Some bacteria develop the ability to hydrolyze these drugs using beta-lactamase. This enzyme confers resistance to penicillin. Some bacteria that use beta-lactamase include E. coli, Staph epidermidis, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, and Klebsiella pneumoniae. In order to treat these bacteria, add in a beta-lactamase inhibitor, such as clavulanic acid, and amoxicillin clavulanate, otherwise known as augmentin. Other bacteria develop antibiotic resistance via genetic mutations of MEK-A, which is characterized by staphylococcal cassette chromosome SCC-MEK, 
which is a mobile genetic unit. MEK-A is a bacterial gene encoding a penicillin binding protein known as PBP2A, and this PBP2A has a reduced affinity for antibiotics. This confers resistance to methicillin, oxacillin, and nafcillin. An example of this is of course MRSA. Keep in mind that SEC MEK type 4 has less genetic elements and is specific to community-acquired MRSA, making community-acquired MRSA less multidrug resistant. Another mechanism of antibiotic resistance includes altered cell wall permeability, which confers resistance to tetracyclines, quinolones, trimethoprim, and beta-lactam antibiotics. Alternatively, antibiotic resistance can be conferred by the creation of a biofilm barrier, which provides an environment where offending bacteria can multiply safe from the host immune system. Bacteria that employ this strategy include Salmonella and Staph epidermidis. Active efflux pumps confer resistance to erythromycin and tetracycline, as is seen in MSRA gene in Staph. The next form of antibiotic resistance to discuss is an altered peptidoglycan subunit such as the altered D-alanyl-D-alanine of NAMNAG peptide, which confers resistance to vancomycin, as is seen in vancomycin-resistant enterococcus, or VRE. And finally, antibiotic resistance may develop by ribosome alteration, as is seen in the ERM gene, which confirms inducible resistance to MLS, or the macrolide lincosamide streptogranin agents. This occurs via the methylation of the 23S ribosomal RNA. This can be demonstrated using a D-zone test which is used for inducible clindamycin resistance in staph and beta-hemolytic strep. Okay, so now we will finish up with a little more in-depth review of penicillins, cephalosporins, fluoroquinolones, aminoglycosides, vancomycin, rifampin, linezolid, and some of the more important considerations in patients who have had splenectomies. Again, penicillin's mechanism of action is via interference with bacterial cell wall synthesis. The important subclassifications and most tested examples include natural penicillins, especially penicillin G, the penicillinase-resistant penicillins, especially methicillin, otherwise known as stafcillin, and the amino penicillins, including ampicillin, which is otherwise known as omnipen or polycillin. Reviewing cephalosporins, these are bactericidal, and they work via a mechanism that disrupts the synthesis of the peptidoglycan layer of bacterial cell walls doing so through a competitive inhibition on penicillin-binding proteins, or PBPs. The peptidoglycan layer is important for bacterial cell wall structural integrity. This mechanism of action is the same as beta-lactam antibiotics, including penicillins. Again, the cephalosporins are subclassified into first, second, third, and fourth generations. Important tested examples of first-generation cephalosporins include cefazolin, also known as ANSEF or Kefzol, Important second-generation cephalosporins include cefaclor or seclor. Important third-generation cephalosporins include ceftriaxone or rocephin. And important fourth-generation cephalosporins include cefepime or maxepime. Reviewing fluoroquinolones, the mechanism of action is the blockage of DNA replication via an inhibition of DNA gyrase. Fluoroquinolones have various side effects which include the inhibition of early fracture healing through toxic effects on chondrocytes and increased rates of tendinitis with a special predilection for the Achilles tendon. Tenocytes in the Achilles tendon have exhibited degenerative changes when viewed microscopically after fluoroquinolone administration. Recent clinical studies have shown an increased relative risk of Achilles tendon rupture of 3.7. Important tested examples of fluoroquinolones include ciprofloxacin, otherwise known as cipro, and levofloxacin, otherwise known as levoquin. Moving on to discuss aminoglycosides, 
These antibiotics are bactericidal and work via the inhibition of bacterial protein synthesis. Aminoglycosides work by binding to the 30S ribosomal subunit, leading to the misreading of mRNA. This misreading results in the synthesis of abnormal peptides that accumulate intracellularly and eventually lead to cell death. The important tested example of aminoglycosides is gentamicin, otherwise known as garamycin. Next, reviewing vancomycin, this drug covers gram-positive bacteria and works via bactericidal mechanism through the inhibition of cell wall synthesis. Resistance to vancomycin is increasing, and the emergence of vancomycin-resistant enterococci has resulted in the development of guidelines for use by the CDC. Indications for vancomycin use include serious allergies to penicillins or beta-lactam antimicrobials, serious infections caused by susceptible organisms that are resistant to penicillins such as MRSA, methicillin-resistant staph epidermidis, or MRSE, and surgical prophylaxis for major procedures involving implantation of prosthesis in institutions with a high rate of MRSA or MRSE. Regarding rifampin, remember it is most effective against intracellular phagocytized staph aureus in macrophages. Regarding linezolid, remember that linezolid binds to the 23S portion of the 50S ribosomal subunit and acts by preventing the formation of the initiation complex between the 30S and the 50S subunits of the ribosome. Lastly, some important notes on patients with splenectomies. Splenectomy patients or patients with functional hyposplenism require the following vaccinations or antibiotics. Pneumococcal immunization is required, as is Haemophilus influenzae type B vaccine, meningococcal group C conjugate vaccine, influenza immunization, and lifelong prophylactic antibiotics such as oral phenoxymethylpenicillin or erythromycin. Now that we've gotten a general overview of this topic, let's review a few questions to see how this material has been tested in the past. Question 1. Which of the following correctly describes a class of antibiotics and its mechanism of action? Answer 1. Penicillins inhibit bacterial protein synthesis. Answer 2. Aminoglycosides inhibit bacterial cell wall synthesis. Answer 3. Fluoroquinolones inhibit DNA gyrase. Answer 4. Cephalosporins inhibit bacterial protein synthesis. Or answer 5. Vancomycin inhibits bacterial protein synthesis. The correct answer is 3. Fluoroquinolones inhibit DNA gyrase. Fluoroquinolones such as levofloxacin act to block DNA replication by inhibiting DNA gyrase. Fluoroquinolone antibiotics are bactericidal and their mechanism of action works through the inhibition of DNA gyrase. Side effects of fluoroquinolones include the inhibition of early fracture healing through toxic effects on chondrocytes and increased rates of tendinitis with a special predilection for the Achilles tendon. Levine et al. published a review on fluoroquinolones. They report that fluoroquinolones act by inhibiting DNA topoisomerases, such as DNA gyrase, otherwise known as topoisomerase 2. Due to the increasing antibiotic resistance, their use is limited to specific clinical scenarios. Additionally, their use in children is restricted due to a potential for growth disturbance and cartilage damage. Perry et al. performed an experimental study on the inhibition of fracture healing by levofloxacin and trovofloxacin in rats. They found that the experimental fractures systematically exposed to levofloxacin or trovofloxacin have diminished healing during the early stages of fracture repair. 
They therefore concluded that the administration of quinolones during early fracture may compromise fracture healing in humans. To quickly review the incorrect answers, answers 1, 4, and 5 incorrectly pair cephalosporins, penicillins, and vancomycin to inappropriate mechanisms, as all of these work via the inhibition of cell wall synthesis. Answer 2 is incorrect, as aminoglycosides do not inhibit bacterial cell wall synthesis, but rather they bind the 30S subunit of ribosomes, inhibiting protein synthesis from mRNA. Question 2. What mechanism allows Staphylococcus epidermidis to adhere to surfaces and resist phagocytosis? 1. Creation of active efflux pumps. 2. Methylation of 23S ribosomal RNA. 3. Biofilm production. 4. Alteration of cell wall permeability. Or 5. Beta-lactamase production. The correct answer is 3. Biofilm production. Staphylococcus epidermidis is a gram-positive bacteria that utilizes a glycocalyx biofilm to adhere to orthopedic implants and other surfaces to resist phagocytosis. This biofilm creates a well-protected environment where bacteria can proliferate and thrive essentially undetected by the host's immune system. This leads to chronic infections of orthopedic implants that can go undetected for years. Arceola et al. note that Staph epidermis can colonize surfaces in a self-generated viscous biofilm composed of polysaccharides and that the ICA gene found in 56% of Staph epidermis isolates were associated with their ability to produce biofilm. Olsen et al. discussed the importance of polysaccharide intracellular adhesin, or PIA, a substance produced by 50-60% to 60 of Staph epidermidis strains in the adherence of Staph epidermidis to biomaterials through biofilm creation. PIA plays a critical role in the initial adherence of Staph epidermidis to biomaterials, biofilm maturation, and aggregation. To quickly review the incorrect answers, answers 1, 2, 4, and 5 are incorrect as efflux pump production, hydrolysis of beta-lactam drugs with beta-lactamase, alteration in cell wall permeability, and ribosomal alteration are all mechanisms that Staphylococcus uses to resist antibiotics, but are not involved with adherence to materials or resistance to phagocytosis. Last question. MEK-A is the bacterial gene which encodes for a penicillin binding protein that alters the efficacy of beta-lactam antibiotics. Which of the following species of bacteria are known to produce MEK-A? 1. Clostridium difficile 2. Clostridium tetani 3. Vancomycin-resistant enterococcus 4. Methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus or 5. Streptococcus epidermidis The correct answer is 4. Methicillin-resistant Staph aureus Methicillin-resistant Staph aureus or MRSA is the most common carrier of the MEK-A gene. This gene may also be found in Staphylococcus aureus and Streptococcus pneumoniae species and provides penicillin resistance for those bacteria. None of the other bacteria listed are known to harbor MEK-A in their bacterial genome. Marcotte and Treziak review community-acquired MRSA with specific focus on diagnosis and treatment. They discuss the differences between community-acquired and hospital-acquired MRSA. Specifically, they emphasize bacterial gene products like MEK-A, which alters the bacterial susceptibility towards common antibiotics 
and provides appropriate treatment options for common MRSA infections. That is all for this review about antibiotic classifications and mechanisms. I hope that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or the mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you are not already, please be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.